Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. questions I ask myself. How are you guys doing tonight? Awesome. Man, this is a tall table. I hope y'all don't ever have Kevin Hart come and speak. So that could be an awkward moment, okay? So this is like a five foot, 10 and above approved table. Um, well, Isaac introduced me earlier, but my name is Chris Bacon. And I, I love this gathering here. And here's why I love it. Because so much of my faith was actually formed in my young adult years. Um, I became a Christian when I was 17, um, which means that most of my formative years in faith happened between the ages of 18 to 25. Um, it was the first time I was discovering everything in the Bible. It was the first time every time I would open up the book of the Bible that I would go, I don't really understand what that means, but I'm really curious about it. And so those are the years when most of my faith were formed. And that's one reason why I believe so much in what God is doing here and what God is doing in you and what God is doing in each of you individually, not just collectively. And tonight I'm excited because we're talking about something. If I can be honest, this is one of those messages where you prep and you're like, man, I need this. I need this because I struggle with this. And I'm just going to have a moment of confession. Like I'm not really good at what we're talking about tonight. Um, I'm much better at talking about it than applying it. I'm much better at actually studying it than, than living it out practically. And the, the reason for that is, is because I grew up um, in a family of fighters. Like there is no flight in me. In fact, um, my wife is back there and I found out just now during the, the mingle time that uh, there's, she has actually never been in a fight her whole life. And she goes, how many fights have you been in? And I was like, uh, I got to go get ready for my message right now. <laughs> she was like, well, what's the most awkward one that you've been in? Like, what was the dumbest one that you've been in? And I was like, well, about that. Like, all of them were pretty dumb, if I really think about it. But, but none of them were really innocent. Like, all of them, all of them were. She was like, no, no, just tell me. She, she, just tell me. Like, take me back to one of them. Because she's never been in a fight before, so she doesn't understand this. And she was like, just take me back to one of them. And I was like, well, in kindergarten... And she goes, what? I married a psycho. But I grew up in a family of fighters, my, my, my family of origin. Like, like literally a, a family holiday for us was like we would gauge it on how good it was and how bad it was by if the police were called to break up a fight. So like literally I, I moved away a couple years later. Some of you are like, amen, my family too. Just last week at my birthday party. Some of you are laughing a little, too, a, little too, a little too loud. So, but I can appreciate that because I grew up in a family of fighters. Like, like my natural instinct is not to run. My natural instinct is every moment is life and death scenario and I'm going to have to fight my way out of it. That's just been my natural instinct growing up. Like that's what I learned from people around me was you don't run from a fight. And you don't run from conflict. You deal with it in a really unhealthy way. You, you get loud, you get angry, you get frustrated, you do whatever it takes to handle the other person, not handle the problem because you don't want to actually deal with the problem. You just want to deal with the, the person or you want to deal with the situation. You don't want to deal with that, what, what's at the heart of it. And so um, even, even as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some moments in my life when I actually demonstrated some of these things besides the kindergarten one of just the way that I grew up besides just physical violence. So um, here's a picture of me um, when I was a kid. This is about the age of six or seven. Um, don't let that cute smile fool you. Um, that cute smile actually hid a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. Um, and it was, it was really good for getting me out of trouble. Um, it wasn't really good for keeping me out of trouble. Um, and so um, if you can do the math on that one later. And so here I am at the age of seven. And I remember back to this one particular time when someone in my neighborhood, I was friends with them and we had swapped some things. And so I let him borrow some of my WCW World Championship wrestling cards, as well as some of my basketball cards. And he gave me like six video games and we weren't trading these things. You know, it was like I was letting him borrow something, which I don't know what you do with borrowed sports cards, but apparently that made sense to us back then. You're just going to look at them. And so he's got these things borrowed and I've got like seven video games of his borrowed because I was a good negotiator. 
So he's got these things, I've got those. And I remember one particular day, I said, hey, I'm going to need those cards back. And he looked at me and said, no, 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 you can't have them back yet. And I went, what do you mean I can't have them back? He said, I'm not ready to give them back to you. And I was like, well, I've got your seven video games over here, and I'm ready to give those back to you because I can only beat, um, I can only beat Ninja Turtles so many times on Nintendo. And so I'm ready to give these back to you. I need my cards back because I've got to go to the card shop this weekend, and I've got to exchange those so I can buy new ones. And he goes, I'm not giving them to you today. You can have them next week. So I did what any normal seven-year-old would do. I said, well, I've got to go to the card shop this week. So I sold all seven of his video games. <laughs> now, I sold them for $10 a piece, um, which at the time, adjusted for inflation, um, that's really like $700 back then of video games that I just sold, and I sold them for $70. Um, and then I, I got a, a lot of trouble for it. But that was my mindset. My mindset was if if you, if you take from me, I'm going to take double from you. And I kind of grew up with this mindset of, man, whatever you take or whatever you um, get from me, I'm actually going to do double that. Um, and I'm going to take um, more than you took from me because that's what retaliation looks like. That's what revenge looks like. And if you want to get over on me, then I'm going to make sure that I get over on you in a way that you will never actually want to do that again. The next time I tell you to give me my cards, you're going to go, yes, sir. That was my mindset growing up because I, I saw that, that the way you deal with situations or the way you deal with being wronged is simply through intimidation, is simply through fear, is simply through anger, is simply through um, whatever it takes for you to retaliate because I thought retaliation was actually going to be the thing that brought life. And we all know what that's like, that we all struggle for some reason with this innate thing inside of us when we're wrong to go, I want to actually make that right. And our instinct typically is not for peace. Our instinct typically is to retaliate. In fact, I want to just ask you a question. If you're on I-4 and perhaps you drove here on I-4, you're going to be taking I-4 home and someone cut you off on I-4. Someone cut you off on I-4 um, and they, they cut you off. What's your first instinct? Oh, bless his soul. <laughs> I bet you're in a hurry. I should probably let them through. What's your first instinct? You just, huh? Sl what? Slow down to avoid accident. You're much nicer than me. So that is not my first instinct. My instinct is to go like Liam Neeson on them. Like I will track you down and I will find you. And I have a special set of skills that will deal with people like you. And my wife is always in there like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know, honey. I don't know. But they cut me off. Don't they realize this is the most dangerous interstate in all of America? And they still did that. But that's our natural instinct. Our instinct is to retaliate. It's not to simply go, well, I wonder what that person was going through. I wonder why they were in a rush. No, our instinct is probably to kindly wave at them with uh, four fingers missing. Um, but all of those things, this is a young adult service, right? I, I can say things like that. So... But we, can, we have a tendency to typically want to retaliate. Like if I can be honest, like that's my, that's my natural instinct is to want to retaliate. It's not to actually want peace. In fact, last week, um, in fact, a couple months ago, um, I was um, babysitting my nephews. And it's so interesting that they don't even have to learn this really well. Like their instinct is to retaliate. So I have nephews, my, my, God bless my sister. She's got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, and all of them are boys. I will tell her that you send your prayers. <laughs> so all of them are boys. And I've always been like, look, I've done student ministry forever. I've done a lot of kids volunteering in kids ministry. Like, how hard can this be? <laughs> These kids are crazy. So I, I, my, my wife and I, we were babysitting them at Christmas. And it was actually incredible as I watched this play out because the instinct even for a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old is to retaliate. Like you knock their Legos over and they're probably going to try to punch you in the mouth. They don't have to learn it. They typically go like, 
mine, or you did this to me, and so I'm going to do this to you. Like it's this natural instinct inside of all of us for some reason that naturally, even those of us that have fight or flight patterns, it doesn't really matter. There's this thing inside of us when someone does something to us to actually wish harm upon them. Now you may still run from the situation, but there's something inside of you, if it's not dealt with, it will naturally want retaliation for them instead of peace for you and peace for them. In fact, I was in San Diego last week, and I just had this moment where I was reminded of how easy it is to actually want to retaliate. I was in San Diego, and I flew in, um, and I had this issue with my rental car company because they closed an hour earlier than I thought they closed, um, which means that I got to the airport, and I realized, oh, they're not actually open, so I'm going to have to take an Uber to my hotel. And so I take an Uber to my hotel and then I go all the way. The next morning I wake up, I, I try calling the rental car company. They wouldn't actually call me back for some reason. Um, so if you work for a rental car place, I, I apologize for this story, uh, but they wouldn't call me back. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to take an Uber there and I'm going to go pick up my rental car that I've had reserved for three weeks now. And I'm going to get there and I'm going to go and I'm going to do all of the things that I want to do while I'm here in San Diego. So I get to the rental car place and I go, hey, um, you guys closed earlier than you were supposed to last night. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we did. No big deal. I said, well, I'm here to pick up my rental car. Um, I was supposed to pick it up last night, and I'm here now to pick it up. And the lady goes, oh, give me one second. And I was like, well, this does not look good. Like, if you get to a rental car place and they say, hey, give me one second. I've got to check on something. You're probably going to be taking an Uber the rest of the week. So I look at her, and I go, okay, no worries, no worries, no worries. Then she says these words to me. She says, oh, yeah, um, it looks like we gave your reservation away. And I went, what? what? She goes, yeah, we, we gave your reservation away because you didn't come last night. And I went, I called. <laughs> you didn't pick up the phone. I called. And the owner comes out. He goes, oh, did you call at 7.56 p.m. last night? I said, yes. He goes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I went, no lie, I went, I have rights. <laughs> like, no lie, I have rights. Like, you can't do that to me. I had this thing reserved for weeks. He goes, well, you didn't pick it up. I said, you didn't pick up. I was like, I have rights. And the poor lady who's working the front desk, she's like, I feel like I'm caught in the middle of crossfire. She's like, between my boss and this psycho man. Um, and, and I just, I just and, and I walk outside. I'm like, that's it. I'm, I'm calling the Better Business Bureau. I don't care. And the guy's like, okay. So I walk outside and I'm about to actually, this isn't an actual picture, but I'm about to take a picture to actually post it. This is the Economy Car Rental Cafe in San Diego. Um, I found it online today because I didn't take the picture. Because something inside of me just said, oh man. I had this moment where I was like, oh no, the, the reservation was under my church email. <laughs> so, so, so they're going to look and they're going to be like, Chris Bacon at firstorlando.com. And I'm going to be like, oh crap. But I had this moment in that moment where I went, why is it so easy? Like, why, that, like half of my day was, was just completely demolished by this. Why is it so easy for our natural instinct when we feel like we've been wrong to retaliate? Like, or to like unleash something on someone or, or a situation? Like, why, why is that our natural instinct? Why is it so easy if someone gossips about us for our first instinct to be, we're going to gossip about them? Why is it so easy if someone insults us for us to say something mean back to them? Why is it so easy for us to live in this posture of just, hey, when, I, when I'm hurt because hurt people hurt people, I'm going to be okay hurting people. Why is it so easy for us to live in that? See, ultimately, we have two choices whenever we're wrong. We can choose the first one, which is retaliation. And if we're honest, because we live in a broken world and a result of living in a broken world is also that we are broken, that our natural instinct is not towards making peace in a situation. Now, even for the people in this room that are like, I am so conflict avoidant, I would never actually do that. A lot of times you bury the anger or you bury the frustration or you bury the things that have been done wrong to you. I was with a therapist last week 
That was part of the reason why I was in San Diego, not because of the rental car situation. Um, but I was with a therapist last week, and one of, one of the guys that was in the group that I was in, he, he looked at him, and he, he said these words, and they stuck with me. He said, hey, so-and-so, how long has it been since you've actually been angry? And the guy went, never. And the therapist said something that I thought was so profound. He said, well, I'm really worried for you. Because the truth is, all of us, because we live in a broken world, we wrestle with this tension of what do I do when I've been wronged? What do I do when life hasn't gone the way that it was supposed to go, or people haven't treated me the way that I should have been treated, or the situation didn't pan out the way that I thought it would, or, man, I've got this situation with somebody that treated me poorly, and now I don't know how to respond. The instinct for some of us is to just bury it. And what we don't realize is, is when we bury our issues, or when we bury the tension, or when we bury the moments in our life when somebody has done us wrong, um, there's actually a form of retaliation that we've got there because it's just buried beneath all the different layers inside of our heart that somewhere deep inside of us, we've got some bitterness towards them, or maybe you just avoid them, or you avoid the situation, or you avoid the conflict. And that's just another form of retaliation because it's going, I'm going to bury this, and I'm not actually going to bring peace to the situation. I'm just going to act like it doesn't exist. But the second way that we can respond when we're wrong is through participation. So there's a a way that Jesus calls us to live. There's a way that God would actually say that would bring life, that if we would choose to participate in it, it's far better than retaliation. Now, you're in this series on Sermon on the Mount, and I love it because you'll see this throughout the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus will, will consistently say, hey, you have heard it said, but I am saying What he's doing there is he's deconstructing and he's reconstructing. So he's going, hey, there's a pattern that the world lives by, even those who are religious, who have taken the truth that was taught in the Old Testament, but they've misapplied it. And because they misapplied it, I'm here to fulfill that so that way I can show you how to actually apply the truth in a way that will bring life, not death. He's restoring things to the way that they should be, not restricting things. Now, a couple years ago, um, I've, got a, I've got a bad back um, because I'm old. Um, I've got a bad back. Um, I grew up playing sports, and I heard it several times playing sports. But I had this moment with a physical therapist about eight years ago where I'd hurt my back, and th- that's an ongoing thing for me. And I was going through physical therapy, and I get there, and they, they tell me to do all of these things that make absolutely no sense. It's like, hold your leg here. And I'm like, as somebody that's been an athlete my whole life, I'm like, is this ballet? Like, just, no, 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 just hold it and don't move. Okay, now do this one. I'm like, this is not exercise. How is this supposed to help me? And they go, okay, okay, I want you to actually put your back up against the wall, and then I want you to do that again. I'm like, why does this hurt so bad? See, the, the physical therapist said something to me that was so profound. They said, sometimes the simplest things, also are the most painful things, but the most painful things can actually bring healing. See, the physical therapy process was about asking me to do these simple things that almost didn't even make sense to me. And at times they were painful and they they really hurt. And I'm going, why does this simple thing actually cause this much pain? But they actually brought healing. Now, I need to confess something. Um, after going to the physical therapist for about two weeks, I quit going because I was going, this is too simple. This is too painful. Like it doesn't seem to be working. And my fear for a lot of us when it comes to living out the things that God calls us to live is it can be so easy for us to view something that's meant to be restorative as restrictive. I was going, this is so restrictive. How am I supposed to get abs holding my, my, my legs in the art? Like just like this, that's not going to give me a six pack. Like how am I supposed to have that moment? Like Like, it it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, there's something I just want you to consistently repeat to yourself. This is for restoration, not restriction. This is for my healing and my wholeness, not robbing me of something that I was meant for. Bonhoeffer, who was a, um, he's a theologian who um, has just committed so much to the church. Um, One of the books that he wrote was The Cost of Discipleship, and he has something that's going to guide us as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. And he said this, that the Sermon on the Mount is a visible participation in the way of the cross. 
So it's a visible participation in the way of cross. And a lot of times when we read Matthew 5, and maybe you've thought this over and over again as you've read Matthew 5, is this just seems so ridiculous. Like you're going to tell me, that's why we, we, we call it the upside, upside down kingdom oftentimes. We say that it, it's not going to really make a lot of sense when we read Matthew 5 because it's countercultural. It's one, one of the terms Isaac has been using is this is God's kingdom coming here on earth. God's kingdom living in you and I. And in the, in the midst of a broken world that's been fractured because of sin, a lot of the times the things that you read in Scripture, they don't make sense through a natural lens, but they definitely make sense through a supernatural lens. And so sometimes what I want to confess to you is sometimes what we read in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes what seems like death is actually death making a way for life. And sometimes when you read something and you go, that just doesn't make any sense in my flesh. It's not supposed to because it's death making the way for life. So when we read those things and as we read Matthew 5, I just want us to have this mindset as we read it that we go, hey, this is restoration, not restriction. This is the visible participation in the way of the cross for me that I get to enter into the death of Jesus so I can experience the life that only Jesus can offer when I choose to live my life the way that he's designed me to live it. When I choose to enter into the restoration that he offers me as I pattern my life after the way that he lived his. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 5, um, verse 38 through 42. I want you guys to turn there with me if you've got your Bibles. And it says this. You have heard it You've heard that it was said. Now, Jesus says this over and over again. This is, a, this is a pattern of Scripture. He's pointing back to the Old Testament. He's not refuting the truth that was in the Old Testament. He's not going, hey, this truth that was taught in the Old Testament is irrelevant. He, he's, he says several times, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to demonstrate for you the way that the law was meant to actually be fulfilled in each of our lives. So you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So he's quoting something that his audience would understand and that his audience would know. And they would go, oh yeah, I remember that. Like, oh yeah, I remember, like, I remember learning that as a child. I remember seeing it demonstrated a certain way too. But I say to you, and that's where he's going, hey, you've heard it said, you've seen it demonstrated, but guess what? I'm here to fulfill the way that this was meant to be actually lived out and the way that this was meant to be understood. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. First of all, I don't want to go one mile. <laughs> I never get through the first mile and go, I'm going two I'm like, I'm done. So uh, give, to, give, give to the one who begs from you and do not refute the one who would borrow from you. So I want to I wanna say something with this passage and then we're going to explain it and then we're going to walk through some practical application. The first one is I, I want to make sure I, I help all of us know um, that Jesus is not telling us that we are not allowed to have boundaries as we read this. Sometimes we can read this and we can go, oh, Jesus is just telling us that we should put ourselves in situations where we can be abused physically, emotionally, spiritually, taken advantage of. That is not what Jesus is saying in this passage. And I just, I wanna, I wanna make sure that I clear that up before we get into it. That Jesus is ultimately not saying that we cannot have boundaries. Um, it, you see in other passages of scripture where, where we still have a God who is a just God. We still have a God who um, says that we submit to um, the authorities and the governances that God has set in place. We still have a God who tells us there are moral laws that all of us should follow and all of us should fall under. So this is not God saying, hey, you need to put yourself in situations where you can be abused. And I just want to say this clearly, that, um, that Jesus is not saying to just let people hurt you. And if you're in a situation or a circumstance where you're being abused emotionally, physically, spiritually, report it. If you're in a relationship that is harmful or consistently filled with hurt in an abusive way, get out of it. If you're in a situation where you're, you're literally tense every day, 
because you're in a, in a job where you're being um, manipulated and abused. Jesus is not necessarily saying that you have to stay in that. But there are some things that he is teaching us in this passage. Um, and I, I think it, sur- it, it really surrounds around this idea that he's saying personal vengeance is not the way of the kingdom. And what we have to understand is in this passage, one of the things that's happening and one of the things that was happening is something that God actually gave um, to the Israelites as they were coming out of slavery as an operating system for the way that they should actually live, the way that they should actually experience joy and wholeness. One of the things that he's doing here um, back in um, Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy, which is where a lot of what you're seeing here in Matthew 5 is quoted from, um, is he, he gave those things for two primary purposes. And so when you see an eye for an eye, um, what does that actually mean? Because a lot of times when you read this, you'll go, oh man, he's saying like, like vengeance works a way to where like you poke me in one eye and I poke you in your eye. But that's not what he's saying here actually. So th- this is referring back to an, an Old Testament law that he gave um, really to, that God gave really for two primary reasons. The first one was to push back evil. And so they were in a time when they, they didn't have the model of Jesus to show them how to live the life that God was calling them to live, they also didn't necessarily have a way of life that actually would have produced morality and wholeness. That's why when you read the Old Testament, there's so much destruction before God gives the Ten Commandments. And even after that, as you read through Exodus, as you read through Leviticus, Exodus, and Deuteronomy, and you read through those books, you're like, man, these are, this is a pretty messed up group of people. And it's because God's given them this moral law to push back evil. And so he gives them this idea of an eye for an eye is punishment um, to push back the evil that's taking place. The second reason is, and this is, this is actually pretty comical to me because I resonate with this. The second reason is because one of the things that was happening um, is people were actually punishing um, in a way that actually didn't match the crime. So an example of it would be somebody would steal your cow. I know y'all are like, cow, why'd you have to, like, cow, seriously? Like, somebody would steal your cow. Somebody would steal somebody's cow, or somebody would um, steal somebody's goat. And in response to them stealing a cow or a goat, they would go, I'm going to burn your whole house down. I'm going to burn the whole farm, too. Now, you hear that, and you go, that doesn't seem fair. But that's the way that people were responding, because there was no moral law to go, hey, when someone wrongs you, here's how you should here's how you should respond. So when somebody would wrong you, you would just go, you know what? You stole my cow. I'll burn the whole field down and your house and your camel and everything you own. And so God gives this principle of an eye for an eye from a, from a judicious standpoint, from a, hey, from a civil standpoint of how you're to govern as a society, as a people, like if someone wrongs you, make sure that the punishment actually isn't double what, the, what they actually did. Make sure that you're not burning someone's whole field down because they stole a cow from you. So it was, it was a just moment for them. Now the problem is what the Pharisees were doing and what the people of the day were doing is they were actually not using this for a standard of cooperation amongst the people. They were actually using it for personal vengeance. So you go, well, Man, you, you stole my cow. Well, I'm going to come over. I'm going to steal your cow. I'm not going to report it to the authorities. In fact, I'm going to steal two. Because, you know, we missed out on milk for a week. So they were abusing it. The second one is this idea of slap and turn the other cheek. Now, I got to confess, sometimes when I read that, I'm like, I'm just supposed to sit there and let somebody bust me in my mouth? That just does not seem right. Now, what you have to understand is it was custom in, in the Jewish tradition that when somebody would actually, and, and, and this we know because they were slapped in the right cheek and they were slapped at the right arm, and you could do the, the math on that later and the geometry on that, that it was probably a what? A backhanded slap, which is the worst kind of slap. If you get backhanded slapped in that culture, in that custom, it was considered an insult. So it wasn't just about the violence in the situation, it was considered an insult. And so the the backhanded slap was a way of ultimately insulting that person. Um, It was a way of uh, saying that that person meant nothing to you and that that person's dignity meant nothing. So it was about this insulting um, response um, that they could have. 
The second one is, uh, the third one that we see is accuse and sue. Um, and so we see this that ultimately, now what I also want to clarify in this is, is we definitely see here um, that it's saying that ultimately if you were sued and you owed something, that would mean that based on the judicial system that you were found what? You were found wrong. Like if it's saying, hey, if you are sued and you owe someone this, so you've been accused and you've been sued for something, it's saying this idea of, hey, guess what? You're to actually not just give um, your not just give your cloak, which was something that was worn, um, kind of that every person wore, um, not just worn under the cloak. Give your tunic. So not just worn underneath this jacket, um, but also to give. Your, your cloak as well. So give your tunic and your cloak, which it's really important to understand that the cloak was really, really valuable. So when he says that you're to give your cloak, it was ultimately seen in this culture as a right that someone had. So it's similar to, like as Americans, we would go like, man, I have the right to life, liberty, some of you, go, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, like, or to a rental car if you made a reservation. Like, I have a right. Well, this was a, a common right that you would also, you would have that. And, and under no um, scenario would you be required to give that up. We actually have some laws like that here in Florida where if you're sued or if somebody has a civil um, suit against you, and if you have a homestead exemption on your home, like they can't get your home. They can take everything else from you, but not your home. That's why O.J. Simpson moved here, I've been told. Is because he wanted to keep his house. And in this scenario, that was something that you would never actually lose. But Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? If someone sues you, don't just give up your tunic, give up your cloak. Pay back more than is required. If they demand you go a mile, now what is that about? Like, is that about running? No, in that culture, it was very common. It was very common in that culture that at any point, a Roman soldier could tap a citizen or could tap somebody that was Jewish and go, hey, I want you to actually take all of my stuff. So I'm going to give you my pack. I'm going to give you all of the stuff that I'm carrying. And you're actually going to bring it up the mountain for me. Can you imagine you're just doing your job? Like, and you're working and somebody goes, hey, you, my name's Chris. You, take my stuff up a mile up the hill. Now, if they tell you that, you don't just go up that mile because you still need to go back to the thing that you were doing, right? So it was very common, and it was actually law, that at any point, a Roman soldier could walk up to you and go, you, carry my stuff up the hill. So you'd mosey on your way, <laughs> go up a mile, and then you have to go back another mile, which for those of you who are math majors in the room, that's how many miles? That's two miles. And so Jesus says, guess what? If that happens, we know it's a huge inconvenience and it probably wrecked your whole day. But if that happens, because two miles, I mean, that's at least, if you're walking, that's at least like 25, 30 minutes. If you're running, it, that's, it depends on, on your pace. But if I'm running, that's 45 minutes, mile there and a mile back. But then he says, go two miles. That's like a whole lunch break. Done, gone. And you still have to finish back what you were doing. So it's very common. Then he says a beggar and the borrower. So if someone begs you for money or someone borrows money from you, give generously. What is he doing? He, he's talking about this idea. Hey, there's a, there's a way that the world has taught you to retaliate when you feel like you've been unjustly treated. And I'm telling you not to retaliate, but to participate in the way of the cross. I'm telling you not to retaliate, but to participate in the way of Jesus. See, the big idea can be summed up in Matthew 5, participate, don't retaliate. When everything in you goes, but I want to retaliate, just participate. Just go, hey, there's a, there's a way of the cross that, you know what, in this moment, it may seem like it actually brings death, but man, it will probably, most definitely bring life. Don't retaliate, participate. It's this idea that Jesus offers us the ability to participate in the way of the cross. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us in the Christian life, outside of the fact that we are now um, his children, 
and we inherit the kingdom of heaven is the fact that we don't just inherit the kingdom of heaven as a place we'll go someday. We inherit the kingdom of heaven as a pattern of life that we get to live today. And he offers us this invitation to enter into the thing that actually will bring us life. He offers us the invitation that instead of having no other choice but to retaliate, we can actually participate in the way of the kingdom. We can participate in the way of the cross. So how do we do that practically? And I want to outline that by the four kind of things that we just looked at that were outlined in that passage. The first one is we respond to insults with compliments. So someone insults you, compliment them. Someone speaks negatively about you, compliment them. Someone says something bad about you, compliment them. And I want you to just think with me for a second. How many times in your life has someone said something that was an insult about you and then you said something that was insulting about them? How well did that go for you? Appreciate the audience response today. Y'all aren't leaving me hanging on this stage. I can appreciate that. Just think about that. Now, now imagine this scenario on this next picture. Imagine if in this scenario, <laughs> our whole year would have been different. Imagine in this scenario that Will Smith, he's sitting in his chair. No, 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 just, just think with me. Our whole year would be different. Some of us would have nothing to do. Imagine... Imagine in this scenario that Will Smith is just sitting there chilling. All of a sudden, he hears Chris Rock make a joke about his wife. And he goes, man, you're funny. And Chris goes, yeah, I know, because he's Chris Rock. Robitussum. So you got to go way back. You got to go way back on that one. Y'all looked that up on Netflix, but you didn't hear that from the pastor. Um, <laughs> told y'all, man, I wasn't saved until I was 17. But imagine Will's just sitting there and he's going, hey, that was a good joke. You're really funny. How different that situation would have been. Now, imagine too, because Chris plays a part in this too. I'm not going to talk about the joke that he said. He's a comedian and I, I don't, I don't want to get into that. But imagine over this last year, Chris didn't just go radio silence until that Netflix special in that last 10 minutes. It's a little, got a little heated. Um, but imagine Chris, imagine Chris goes, hey, you know what? That slap was pretty insulting. But man, we're going to figure this out. Can you imagine this whole last year, all of America has been held up in the drama of Will Smith and Chris Rock. And I can guarantee you this, even watching it, nobody experienced peace. Can I tell you this? I don't have to know Will and I don't have to know Chris. I can guarantee you this, there has not been a week in their life where they've experienced peace because retaliation never brings peace because it's not the way of the kingdom. But just imagine how different their lives would have been. Imagine how different the last year would have been. Respond to accusations with selflessness. Respond to accusations with selflessness. So Philippians 1 says that we should pattern our lives after Jesus who did not consider himself to ultimately be more important than anyone else, but he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Someone accuses you. Think about the way that Jesus responded when people accused him. Think about the fact that even as he was going to the cross, that he responded in a way that brought life to others, even those who were accusing him. When someone accuses you, respond to accusations with selflessness. When someone does something wrong to you or someone um, accuses you, don't ask the question of, it, we have this habit, I just want to be honest, we have this habit if we're in this conflict with someone else and they demand something of us, most of us actually just want to do the bare minimum. Am I wrong? Like most of us, we just want to do the bare minimum. We just want to, we want to make the problem go away. We want to make the situation go away. We're just like, hey, like, let me just get this. So if somebody, somebody demands something of us, we're typically only going to do the smallest percentage of that to actually get through whatever it was that they were demanding of us. If someone accuses you of doing wrong and 
there's even a, a, a 5 to 10% chance that you play a role in whatever went wrong? Do you want to have peace in your life? Do you want to have happiness in your life? Participate in the way of Jesus, which is selflessness, to consider someone else more important than yourself. And instead of asking the question, what is a bare minimum that I can bring to this situation? Just go into it and say, hey, what am I going to have to do to make this right and to make it right going forward? What am I going to have to do? What, what, what do you need from me? What can my selflessness offer to you in this moment to help make this right? Respond to demands with delight. If your boss is asking you to do extra stuff, consider it pure joy because you know that you're working for God and not for them. I've actually done this before at Chick-fil-A because um, I like to mess with people. Seriously. Like, I've brought my drink up. As me, if y'all work at Chick-fil-A, I apologize. Don't retaliate against me. Don't spit on my drink next time. So no retaliation. Participate in the way of Jesus, people. But I, I love to see this. I love to watch their discipline in this. Because, you know, you can bring up your drink for like nine refills and they still go, my pleasure. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I can only get so many Diet Dr. Peppers. But your level of meeting me with my pleasure is absolutely amazing. Look, what if we disciplined ourselves that instead of responding coldly or having a begrudging heart that goes, man, I'm going I'm to force myself to do this. What if instead, when someone demanded something, we responded with delight? And we, we just ask the question of how can I bless this person? How can I be a blessing in this situation? How can I be a blessing to the people that God has surrounded me with? How can I, how can I ultimately work in this world as if I was not working for man, but working for God, because I know that will be a situation that brings life? And the last one is respond to requests with generosity. So these are practical ways. Respond to requests with generosity. Someone asks you for money, have a meal with them too. Someone borrows money from you, just look at it and go, man, I, I probably just gave that to God. I didn't give that to them. Your server, I'll give you one. Your server, how many servers we got in here? I'm about to bless y'all. No servers. And, all right, we got one server. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the two servers that we've got in here. So you're at a restaurant and you get bad service, give double tip. Because you're being generous. You're pushing back against the way of the world. That would, that would, Lean us into, hey, you get bad service? Don't tip. Or don't give 10%, give 2%. Don't give 20%, give 5%. What I would challenge you with is I think the way of Jesus is when you get bad service to respond the way that he responded to you, which is to be overly generous. Why? so that they may see our good deeds and they may praise our Father in heaven. That they may see the restorative work that's happening in us and they may want that restorative work to happen in them. See, participate, don't retaliate. Every moment when we're wronged is actually a moment for us to participate in the way of Jesus. And I would actually argue that one of the distinctive differences between the way someone who's patterning their life after Jesus lives and the way people who aren't patterning their lives after the way of Jesus, one of the distinct differences is what happens when we're wronged. Not what happens when everything's good, not what happens when people treat us the way that we're supposed to be treated, I believe one of the most distinct things about patterning your life after the way of Jesus 
is that instead of leaning towards retaliating, we choose to participate. We choose to go, I'm going to participate in the way of Jesus. We choose to go, hey, in this situation, I'm going to respond to others the way that Jesus actually responded to me. If you want to begin to really lean into, hey, how do I live a life that doesn't retaliate but participate? I would challenge you with, as you read the Bible, to begin to read it and go, man, how has God treated me? Like, how has God treated me? How did God treat me when I wronged him? How did God treat me when I borrowed from him and, you know, I, I didn't actually do anything with the money that he actually blessed me with? Like, how did, how did God treat me in those moments? And as we begin to discover how God treated us, something will begin to happen in us where we, we, we don't feel the need as often to retaliate. We, we then can make conscious choices to actually participate, to participate in the way of Jesus. It's something I'm actively working on in my life is, hey, how do I participate in the way of Jesus? How do I participate in the way that Jesus has called me to live and the way that Jesus has lived on my behalf? And how do I enter into that in a way that may feel like death, but it actually brings life? A couple years ago, I came across an amazing example of this. And it was a, it was a story about a guy named Graham Staines and his wife Gladys um, and you'll see here, we've, I've got a picture on the screen. Um, you'll see his two younger kids, um, Philip and Timothy. And they were missionaries from Australia um, to Orissa, India. And they had this life goal um, to actually make much of Jesus there and help people who had never experienced the gospel, never experienced the power of transforma transformation to experience it for the first time. It was a really hard soil. I mean, it, it was people that had never heard the name of Jesus, people who had um, a faith system that was actually adversary to the life of Jesus. And one night, um, Philip and his two boys, they were traveling to a village um, so that way they could go and do some, some work there. And as they were traveling, they realized it was going to be really late um, before they got there. And so they actually pulled over to the side of the road in their station wagon, and they decided, hey, we're going to sleep for about four or five hours. And then something happened that changed so many lives in India, but it felt like death. As they were there in their station wagon, a mob of people who were not friendly towards the work that they were doing began to surround their station wagon. And as they surrounded the station wagon, they began to lock the doors and trap them inside. And then they began to do something that I can't imagine what Graham and his son Timothy and his son Philip must have felt inside as they saw this image happening on the outside and the helplessness that incurred. <clears throat> they began to pour gasoline on the station wagon. And then they lit a match and watched the station wagon with Graham and his two sons, Philip and Tim Timothy. burn. Graham and his two sons didn't make it, but it was what Gladys did that taught me so much about what it means to participate in the way of Jesus, what it means to participate in a way that may feel like it's bringing death, but it actually brings life. <clears throat> At the funeral, um, one of the newspapers in India interviewed Gladys and just said, hey, how, 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 how can this happen and how can you have such a posture of heart that says, I'm going to seek forgiveness? I'm going to be willing to forgive even when it feels uncomfortable. Like, what, what in you doesn't want to retaliate? And, and Gladys said these words, and I want to make sure that I get them right, but I think they speak so much about the way of Jesus and how we can participate in the way of Jesus in the visual participation of the cross. She said, let, let's, let, let's burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Now, I can't imagine a mom who's just watched her husband and her two sons be killed having that mentality. How can you have that mentality 
because she's actively choosing to participate in the way of Jesus. It's, it's, they've said that, that when that happened and it was printed on the front page of the news in India, that hundreds and thousands of people came into a relationship with Jesus. Now what changed from the message? Because they had been preaching Jesus for a long time there. Well, it's simply this. It was a visual representation of how different the way of Jesus is than the way of a broken world. Here's what I want to offer you. I know what it's like to store up, I mean, just a lot of bitterness. I know what it's like to want to retaliate against someone. We've got a prayer team here. And I want to encourage you. Sometimes the best thing we can do when we have a posture towards someone in our life of retaliation, maybe you're, you're hoping for someone else to feel what you felt, and you know where that is in your heart, and you're struggling with, man, how do I actually enter into this? I just want to invite you that as we have our prayer team come up, that you would just come up here and you would just ask them to pray with you and just say, hey, I'm struggling to choose to participate in the way of Jesus. Everything in me wants to choose to retaliate. You don't have to tell them exactly what it is. You can just say, hey, would you pray that God would help me participate in the way of Jesus? Let me pray for you. Jesus, um, we thank you so much that you are our model. God, that the reason why we can choose to participate in the way of Jesus instead of retaliate is because you modeled that for us. God, you tell us that you ultimately, while we were enemies, God, while we were on the opposite side of the playing field, God, that you made your way to us you pursued us. God, you could have justly retaliated against us. And instead, you chose mercy and grace. God, would we choose the way of Jesus? Would we choose to participate, not retaliate? God, would we participate in the way that you've called us to live and not retaliate? the way that often our instinct tells us to. God, I pray that as a prayer team makes their way up, God, that if there's anyone in this room that just needs help, just needs prayer, just needs encouragement, God, that you would help them get that tonight. The thing about honesty is honesty and transparency are the soil of healing. God, it's so hard for you to, to heal the areas of our life when we're not willing to bring them into the light. So God, would you do that tonight? It's in your perfect and your precious name we pray the name of Jesus. Amen.